All right. Um, one, it's so wonderful to be uh, here with you all. I really, really do love the, when I get the opportunity to teach. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 25 verse 31 through 46. So if you have your Bibles, and there's also behind, in front of you or behind you, there's Bibles. Um, feel free to grab one of those because uh, we're going to go through this together. Um, and then uh, even on your app, you can do that there. But here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to spend a little bit of time in this passage. Uh, we'll give you just a little bit of time. Why don't you read this passage, uh, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, and then uh, we will get going. I believe the Lord speak to you before I, I get to, so. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit at his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as sheep are separated from the sheep and the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me, and I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And, and when did... When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, apart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? 
Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it for one of these, the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the, but to, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God and everyone says, and Father God, we come to this section of scripture and it feels weighty. Forgive us for avoiding these words of yours. Forgive us of our wanting to move forward in what you're inviting us into. Forgive us of our comfort. Forgive us of our distraction. Teach us this morning. Teach us, Spirit of God, what you want us to learn. We are listening. And for those who are not, Spirit, be heavy on them. Weigh heavy on their hearts this morning. Teach them through your word. Teach them freedom in Christ. We love you and we thank you. We give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. I, I struggle with this passage uh, all week. And uh, this is one of those sections of scripture that a lot of people avoid. In fact, I don't hear it taught very often because it's not attractional, right? You know what I mean? It's not attractional. It doesn't have the feel goods that a lot of us like, you know? And, and so I really wrestled with, how am I supposed to present this? And so I'm gonna really present a 30,000 foot view of this passage. If I were to go into the weeds and walk us through a hermeneutical process, it would be months. Uh, there's so much here. But I wanna take us through a 30,000 foot view of this passage. But here's what the Lord, I really felt like what he had said for me to give to you this morning is show them my heart. Show them my heart. I want you to show them my heart. And while this is a heavy passage, what I believe is that we're being invited into something deeper, something more. A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite authors, and he wrote a book called uh, uh, The Pursuit of God. And in that, in that book, he says this, it is a solemn thing and no small scandal in the kingdom to see God's children starving while actually seated at the Father's table. And I find it so ironic in the context of a series on fasting and prayer that what I get to do, what the word of God is getting to do is to feed you, to feed you real truth, real honest truth that Jesus is presenting for us. And so my hope is that you would be fed this morning, that you would not leave this local church starving for truth, starving for direction. Jesus is going to give you very clear direction this morning. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. It actually kind of takes the pressure off a little bit that he's, he's teaching you. And I think what, so often as we approach this passage, we, we look at it as a series of things that were done and not done. And I, I think that's how we're wired. We are wired to be religious. And religiosity is so easy. Let me just tell you, it's so easy. You show up at church and you're like, I feel good about myself, right? I prayed, I tithed, like, and I feel really good about myself. It is not hard to be religious. It is not hard. It is not hard to check off boxes. It is not hard. What is hard is laying down your life fully. This is what this passage is inviting us into so much more than some religious exercise that we are to do as it relates to caring for God's people. It's so much deeper, it's so much more. And I believe 
the, the Lord wants to teach you some of that, teach us some of that uh, this morning. My, my father came to know the Lord in college through the Navigators. Uh, and the Navigators are huge on scripture, memorizing scripture. And my dad was passionate about memorizing scripture. And in fact, uh, he was passionate in helping me memorize scripture, which I did not like him for that. I am so grateful now, uh, but back then I was not grateful for it. But for my dad, when it came to the word of God, in this particular passage, which was one of his favorites, uh, because one of his favorite songwriters, uh, Keith Green, had, had, done this, had done this passage, and then he did a song right after it called Asleep in the Light. And so my dad was so wound up about this passage, he didn't just want to be somebody who heard the word of God, he wanted to be somebody who acted into it, lived into it. And so I remember as a child, my whole life, my dad on Mondays would come home from, he was a teacher, come home from school, eat dinner, and then head off, and he would do prison ministry. Because for him, this wasn't some like religious box to check. This was actually the fruit of what it meant to come to understand Jesus. And then he invited our whole family into that. Twice a year, we would actually drive to the prison and meet with this prisoner that he was discipling. His name was Bill. He actually came and lived in our home for a period of time. And so this wasn't just some religious exercise. This is, my father felt the full weight of what it was to receive this free gift of God, of salvation, that he wanted desperately to live it out. And I think, as we've been talking about fasting and prayer, which, by the way, we would love to make a checkbox for that. Fasted, done, got through that month. Woo, now I get that cheeseburger, right? Like, prayer, I gotta knock off that task. Okay, good, I prayed today. Like, if we're not careful, we miss the fullness of what it actually means and what this passage is inviting us into. You see, prayer and fasting, they prepare our heart for solidarity. Solidarity with the Lord, solidarity with others. I mean, Jesus in Matthew 5 starts off the Beatitudes with this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying. Blessed are those who go to God Almighty and go, it's just you. You are the one who takes care of me. You are the one who loves me. You are the one who provides for me. You are the one that gives me life and life to the full. It's you. I'm like a beggar before the, the feet of God going, it's just you. Jesus starts off by going, people who live this way, who have that posture in their heart, they're blessed. And not only blessed, but they inherit the kingdom of God. And what fasting allows us to do, prayer and fasting allows us to do, is it helps our heart, it allows our heart to realign for the glory of God on the mission of God in anticipation for the return of God. It's a posture of heart. It's presence with him and with other people. And I'm wondering as you went through this passage, as you were reading through it and you heard me, heard me read it, what did it make you feel? What did you feel as you read it? It's a weighty thing in a beautiful way. This passage is written in the context of the disciples coming to him in chapter 24 going, what would this, the return of Christ look like? What would that look like? And then Jesus rips off a grip of parables to help them understand to help them understand, to help them be prepared. This is a loving father preparing 
and helping his children to understand what it is when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords returns about being ready and being great stewards and being aware and prepared. This is Jesus's, as we come to chapter 25, verse 31, Jesus's eschatological vision of him returning and what will happen. And that makes a lot of us uncomfortable because we believe that everybody's in. And Jesus obviously says that is not the case. And that is hard for us. We don't like that. But this passage is about your purpose. It's about your purpose and priority in the kingdom of God. This is a future vision that should impact your today. That's what he wanted them to understand. This future eschatological vision of the second return of Christ should impact your today. Now the works that are spelled out in this particular passage are not about earning salvation. We don't earn salvation. It is a free gift from God. You can't earn salvation. Man, that stinks, doesn't it? Oh, I wish I could. Don't you wish you could? You just do a bunch of goody good deeds and he gives you candy and like everybody goes to heaven. Like it would be so great, but that's not the case. And that's weighty for us. That puts us in a sense of dependence on him. So this isn't about earning salvation, but rather rather it's the evidence of a redeemed person. This is what a redeemed person looks like. This is what Galatians is talking about when it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, abide in me and I'll abide in you and you will bear much fruit like a branch attached to a vine. This is what Ephesians is talking about in Ephesians 2 where he says, you were dead in your transgressions, but because of the free gift of Jesus Christ, you are free, not because of anything you've done. It's a free gift from him. And then he transitions into verse 10 by saying, you are his poema, his poem, his masterpiece made for good works. It's who you are. As a redeemed person, it's who you are. It's what you naturally do. And here's what I I would desire so deeply for you to understand. This is a warning out of love. For so often in my life, this passage was a condemnation. Shame on you. Shame on you. How dare you? This is not his heart. His heart is like, do you see my love? Come into my love, see my heart, see what I value, see my people, see me. I got one of my best buddies, his name's Barth. He's a doctor, he's an orthopedic surgeon, smart guy. Um, And, you know, he's in California, and when we lived there, you know, he would say, listen, if you got little things, come on over and I'll help you. So, you know, the kids get a hangnail or something like that, and, you know, or I'd go over to his house, and he would, like, literally do surgery on us there in his house. Awesome, right? except that my kids went, I don't think we need to go to the doctor anymore. We're just going to go to Barth. And so my kids are blowing Barth up all the time. Like, I'm like, no, go to the emergency room or go, you know, I got a 19 year old and a 22 year old, you know, like don't stop calling my buddy and being like, Hey, I need help. Could you write me some medication and stuff like that? So I go to Barth. I'm like, I'm so sorry, dude. I'm so sorry that my kids are like not going to the doctor and they're going to you. And he goes, I love to serve them. I love it. I love when they called me. I love taking care of them. I love it. I'm like, it is annoying though. I mean, you've got 
dozens of surgeries you do every week on broken people. And here my kids are calling you, blowing you up about hangnails, right? Like give them more. He's like, no, I love it. And you know what? I love Barth for that. As a father, I love that my friend cares for my kids. How much more, how much more does the father love when we care for his kids? How much more when we see the needs and go, I wanna serve, I wanna be a part of it. That is an active affection. Active affection as a result of something that's happened inside of us. In verse 40, it says this, and the king answered them, truly I say to you, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of the brothers, my brothers, you did it unto me. Here's what's so fascinating about this section of scripture. They are unaware that they're doing anything good. Check that out. They are unaware that they are doing anything profound. He comes to them and he's like, you fed me, you clothed me, you visited me, you cared for me. And they say, what? When did we do that? Well, when, when did we do that? Why, what, what happened? They've been transformed by the renewing of their minds. They've been transformed by the gospel so much to the point that it just becomes an outcome of everything they do, of who they are to the point that it's not something on a to-do list. Helping poor people isn't like, check, gave money to a poor person. Check, gave them food. Okay, good. No, it's just like, when did I do that? He's like, you did it all the time. Because it was a part of who they are now. This is what Jesus is trying to draw out for us. Some of you in this new year have started eating better and exercising, praise be to God, right? So do you ever have this moment though when you're like exercising and eating better and you're like, I don't feel like anything's changed. And then somebody comes up to you and they go, oh my gosh, you look fantastic. Have you been working out? Have you, are you, what kind of diet are you on? You're like, really? I think I lost a pound, right? But something, they, they see some change in you that you're not even aware of yourself. This is kind of what's going on here. They're not even aware. They're just doing it. Why? Because they've been so touched. They're such in union with the Father that those two things are one and the same and they just serve as he serves. This is what Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand is union with the Father equals care for the people. Presence with others is not something you do, it's something that you are. This is where we got it all wrong. We think it's something we do. No, 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 it's something that you are which means presence with the Lord equals presence with people. Presence with the Lord, as you sit with the Lord in your time, will equal presence with people, and you won't even know it. It will just be a byproduct of your presence with the Lord. This is why fasting and prayer are so important. It's just, I want more of you. I want more of you. Not so that I can do all these awesome things. No, I just want you. And you will show me. You will guide me. You will lead me. Because who you are affects what you do. Who you are affects what you do. This is why Paul goes, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but Christ lives in me. And if Christ lives in me, then you better believe I'm just going to serve people. 
I'm going to be present with people. I'm going to care for people because it is who you are and who you are affects what you do. This is what Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand. If you just think about it as a box to check off, you're missing the whole thing. We've been looking at this wrong for so long. This is about an intimate relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is what this whole passage is about. So much to the point that caring is so innate that you aren't even aware of it. How beautiful is that? How convicting is that? You know, I went to India a while back and I got to spend time with pastors who were beaten for the gospel. They have wounds. So like most Westerners, I'm like, what can we do to help you? I just want to help. What can we do to help you? And they said, don't forget us. Pray for us, but please don't forget us. And I think that may be one of the more difficult things that I've ever been asked to do. Because had they said, go raise a bunch of money and send it over here, I've been like, yes. But forgetting them, oh, that's real easy. Because I come back to the US of A and I'm completely distracted, which means I've created myself an active alienation. And that's why in verse 45, it says this, then he will answer them truly, saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. You know, for five years, I've been going to counseling. I talk about this pretty regularly up here because I got some stuff and I got to work through it. And I don't want these blind spots and I'm, I'm trying my best. But a really, really, really big blind spot came up a couple weeks ago, about a month ago wrestling through it. And I, <clears throat> I realized something, you know, for those five years, if you go to my journal, I journal pretty regularly. You know, I sit on my front porch. That's a part of this whole thing. I sit on my front porch and I, and I, I in silence and I wait for the Lord. And I hope for some kind of epiphany, like some angel to pop out and reveal something and tell me what to do, right? But I, can I just tell you, it, often it's just very boring. It's just really boring. I was hoping for so much more. Anyway, um, but I journal and so as I journal, I, 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 I want a centering thought, a centering passage. And a centering thought, a centering passage for me has been Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you, right? It's very precious to me because it has to do with the birds and the flowers. And look at all he's provided. Don't be anxious. All that kind of stuff, right? Super important. And so at the top of my journal, I write, do today unto the Lord. Do today unto the Lord. Doesn't that sound awesome? Doesn't that sound so centering and good? And I am grateful for that statement. It has, really has helped me, except that it's wrong. It's not what the passage says. What's the passage say? Seek. Do is what I'm prone. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm a doer. Anybody else in here a doer that likes to get things done, right? Likes to be efficient and get it done. I'll tell you what comes into conflict with doing, seeking. Because seeking's like this. What do you want? Who do you want me to serve? Who do you want me to care for? I have gotten this passage wrong for most of my life. I've been so busy doing the work than not letting the work do itself in me. Looking at people as a task. Looking at people who are hurting as a task. Lord, help me. 
And he's revealing this to me and breaking me. I need more of Jesus. Not more doing. The doing will come as a byproduct of seeking. He will reveal it to me. He will show me. He will guide me. But what I find myself to be more than anything else, and maybe you can relate with this, is distracted. Distraction is the greatest enemy that Satan can use in most of our lives. He wants to distract you. He wants to distract Eve. He wanted to distract the disciples. He's distracting people all throughout the biblical narrative. And he's distracting this culture more than any other culture that I've been a part of. And I've only been a part of small little cars, right? But he is distracting us. Distracted by politics. Distracted by technology. Distracted by our affluence and our influence. Distracted. What are we being distracted from? Him. And because we're distracted from him, we don't see other people. This is what Jesus is presenting to us in the second half of the passage. They don't see me, and so they don't see others. Lord, when? When were you hungry? We missed that. Because we were too busy looking at our 401k. We were thinking about retirement, how we're going to miss it. We were so distracted by this politician of ours that didn't make it into office and how everything's going awry. We missed it as we tried to pursue after all these other things other than you. And so we don't have your eyes. We don't have your heart. We don't have your mind. And he said, you missed me. In your pursuit of all of this other, you missed me. And because you missed me, you missed others. And that's where the rebuke comes in. James 2 says that this ironic Jesus, Jesus' brother. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one says to them, go in peace and, and be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body. What good is that? Also, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 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 See, we would all love to say, oh, look at all my works. But he's going, no, 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 I'm saying this that the works are a byproduct of the faith that we have in the one who served, in the one who continues to serve us even today. And James is like, with this community, in the same way Jesus was in the community, this is after Jesus has ascended to heaven, James is teaching these people going, hey, hey, we have a responsibility, a responsibility to do unto others what's been done for us. But if we don't really feel and know what's been done for us, then you better believe our care of others will suffer and lack. That's why Luke, in his gospel, and he's kind of reframing this same thing that Matthew's talking about, he talks about it like this, to whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. And we've been given so much. But it's not just for our affluence, our influence. It's for the kingdom. It's for, 
his people, yes, for you. And he cares so good for you. And he loves you so much, but it's not all about you. But if we're disconnected from the Father, we only go, this is just for me. No, no, it's for others. To whom much is given, much is required. And I think what we've done is we've taken on a suburban mentality. I call it death by the suburbs, right? And I'm not dishing, I'm not throwing shade at the suburbs. I'm throwing shade at the mentality, the ideologies of the suburb, which says this, comfort. Comfort it, fitting into some social circle. As long as my kids have X, Y, and Z, everything's gonna be better. As long as I retire comfy, happy, fat, and full, then I'll be good. I'm coming, that's death by the suburbs. In fact, one of my favorite songs is a song by Ben Rector, and, and it says this. It's called Song for the Suburbs. This American dream is not what it seems. Maybe we're still breathing, but we're all asleep. Pretty cars and pretty houses pretty people on parade. If this dream is what you're after, then dreaming is where you'll stay. Because I want to live, this is the chorus, because I want to live until I die. Don't let the devil bury me alive. When my heart stops, let me go home. Don't let the suburbs kill my heart and soul. And then he asks the question at the end, which I think is really important. Are we just running in the dark or living? Are we just running in the dark or are we living? This is the question that Jesus is asking his disciples. Are we just running complete blindness to this suburban reality that we've created, this suburban reality of comfort, comforting ourselves or care? Are we living in Christ, in Christ alone? You will know, by my, you will know my disciples by what? By what they do. If you command... If you keep my commands, you will follow me. You will live for me. This is what Jesus is trying to help us understand. And what he's really trying to do is invite you into himself. He's trying to invite you into his poverty, his way of living and thinking. Think, God Almighty, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the angels bow their faces and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Isaiah says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst an unclean people in the midst of the presence of God. God comes to us. Depraved, sinful comes to us, incarnates us, moves into the neighborhood. He's born in a barn. He was a refugee in Egypt. He was the son of a widow. He was a vagabond. Scripture says that he didn't have a place to lay his head. And he met with the leper, and he placed his hand on that leper. And he met with the blind, and he, he placed his hand on the blind. He met with the rich who were poor in faith, with Zacchaeus, and he came to their home and he shared the good news that he came to seek and save the lost. He fed the hungry, the 5,000. He met the Samaritan and said, that's my neighbor, the most hated amongst the Jews. That's my neighbor. He who knew no sin became sin so that we become the righteousness of God. Why would he do such a thing? Why? 
because union with the Father in spirit moved him to care and sacrifice for others. And you have the same thing. The Father, Son, and Spirit are moving you to his heart. This is why this moment in Gethsemane is so important. As Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. Not me, not my will, not my comfort, not my, yours. I want you, I want more of you. And what that means, it's so dangerous to think that way, to live that way, because it means others are more important than you. Others are more important. That's Jesus' model for us. This is what he's inviting. This is so beautiful what he's inviting us into. And you need to hear this. This is not a condemnation. Because for most of my life, that's what it was. Come on, Jeff. Pull together. Go do something great. Go serve people. And because you're not serve people, hey, maybe we are not even going to heaven. This is not a condemnation condemnation from Jesus this is an invitation into incarnation he's saying I died so my spirit could come and be in unified with you so you could have my ears and my ears and my heart for other people this is an invitation for you and I want you like I am feeling right now so convicted to experience the presence of God. I desperately want that for myself. I am not, I do not have this figured out. I oftentimes feel so weighty teaching this stuff because a bunch of people are staring up at me thinking I got this figured out and I don't. I'm trying, I'm working, I'm asking the Lord to reveal my sin and I'm just telling you, I need more of Jesus. Because I feel the weight of the need, and I can't meet all that need, but he can. And he can do that through the redeemed who choose him first. And as a result of that, we become the hands and feet of Christ. He will convict and guide and lead us. We won't even, we'll just go, oh, I was, I was serving a bunch of people? Oh, cool. I didn't. It'll just become a natural part of who we are. So this isn't a condemnation. This is an invitation into incarnational living first with Christ, and then with other people. I love this. Carla Works, having worked through this passage, said this, the blessed ones are those who have seen the king, seen a king who is not like other kings in the world. They are blessed because they know a king who brings real peace, who sees the needy, and who hears their cries of the oppressed. In God's kingdom, no one is hungry, naked, sick, or alone. To bear witness to Christ as king is to be a messenger of this kingdom, to serve others and therefore and thereby profess the invasion of God's glorious empire. Isn't that beautiful? That's what we've been invited into. And so when we come to communion, it's so interesting. This can just be a religious knee jerk that we do. Oh, for 2,000 years, Jesus told us to do it, so we're just gonna do this. Or this is an invitation into incarnation. This is an invitation to life and life to the full that you remember when Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done, that that meant sacrifice. Believers in Jesus Christ who will partake in communion this morning. I, up here real quick, eyes. 
If you truly love Jesus and commit to following after him, it will cost you something. It's going to cost you everything, but you will find everything in the midst. This is what he's inviting us into. So when you take this, do not take this religiously. Take this as a commitment and a call to join Jesus in his suffering so that many will come to know him. Take this in remembrance of a body broken because of sacrifice and love for the calling of the Lord had laid on his life. Take this in remembrance. For 2,000 years, the cup has signified a pouring out, a pouring out of blood, an invitation for you and I to model and mimic what Jesus has done for us, a pouring out of his life so that people can have life. And so as you take this, maybe as you're taking it, go, as this comes down my throat, I pour out my life for you, Lord, and I want to pour it out for other people. Maybe even repent. Repent that you haven't. Repent that you've fallen short in this. It's okay. I have too. So take this in remembrance of Jesus' pouring out so that you will be poured out as well. Lord, you and you alone know the weight that I've carried this week in preparing for this message. I can't believe that you let me do this. I'm so grateful. I really am. And I thank you for your grace and your mercy that covers a multitude of sins. I thank you that you continue to teach me through your word. All these years, all these years you've been teaching me and that passages I've known for my whole life and even seen modeled that you're still teaching me. I pray that this would be a church like a city on a hill. We would stop trying to be religious and we would just jump into your nature, your goodness, your love to be unified with you, Father, Son, and Spirit so that we would produce good fruit. We love you and we thank you. We glorify you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.